Welcome to the Fresh Start Church Podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. Here you'll find preached messages from our pastors. We pray that the spirit of revival is imparted to you as you listen. To watch live, check us out on YouTube or visit our website at freshstartaz.com. And to stay connected with us, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Open your Bibles, would you please, to Jude. Jude. Nothing like heaven to follow the Holy Spirit. Wow. Powerful moments this morning. Ha. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want it to be any other way. You know, revivals can get messy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 3. Jude verse 3. Dearly loved friend, I was fully intending to write to you about our amazing salvation we all participate in. But felt the need instead to challenge you to vigorously defend and contend for the beliefs that we cherish. For God through the apostles has once for all entrusted these truths to his holy believers. It has been said that every generation is responsible for its own generation's encounter with truth. I feel somewhat apostolic this morning in the sense that one of the great battles that the apostles fought in the early church, early on, And as you read through the book of Acts and you read through the epistles, you will find over and over again that had to address the issue of false teachers, false apostles moving into the church and speaking another gospel, a different gospel than Paul or that Jesus preached. I feel like this is one of those messages today. I have to do this right in the middle of revival. As an apostolic leader of this house, I have to bring to us a charge that we must defend and contend for the truth that has been entrusted to us. This is a pivotal generation because this may be the last generation to declare truth on the earth. Do you believe that? Say yes. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord this morning. I find it interesting that God has chosen to reveal himself to every generation through spiritual transformation as well as spiritual truth. Psalms 145.4 says, One generation shall praise, somebody shall praise, 
shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I, 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 when, I, when I was looking at this, I realized that David is not saying that each generation should teach your works. He says each generation shall praise your works and shall declare your mighty acts. You see, this word praise here means to exultation. It means to act with lively and triumphant joy as one who is over success and victory, one that is shouting over success and victory. You see, what we have to understand today is that the spirit comes down vertically, but truth is imparted horizontally. This is why if we're not careful in a revival atmosphere in church, we will move right into a vertical encounter and forget horizontal truth. So when I was looking over this text, I began to realize that there's, there's something here that we need to lay hold on because it's telling us that our praises will carry the truth to the next generation of believers. The praise we make, the decrees we make, are literally releasing theology, releasing truth into a generation. He's telling us here that dead, dry, unemotional, indifferent teaching of truth is unacceptable. You see, God's intention is that revival is to be the vehicle that would carry truth to the next generation. That's why Jesus said in John 16, verse 13, he said, when he, the spirit comes, when the spirit of truth comes, he will lead you into all truth. Revival is the vehicle because revival is the coming of the spirit. And where the atmosphere is heavy in the glory of God and in the presence of God, where the atmosphere is full of life and not death, then when the word is released, it brings life. It brings strength. You see, God then has been making truth deposits into every generation. He's been making these truth deposits. Peter called them a present truth. The daring moves of God, during revivals and awakenings and outpourings, there was always a greater understanding of truth, a greater release of truth. And so we have to understand then as we've been walking through the ages, the church, 2,000 years now, as we've walked through 2,000 years, God has been releasing truth, present, not a new truth, a present truth. That's important to know the difference. Second Peter 1.12 says, for this reason, 
I will not neglect to remind you. You all, you always of these things, though you know and are established in present truth. It is, it is my desire today to make sure you go deeper, to make sure your roots, your roots go deeper and, and to make sure today that you are established in truth. You see, it, it, see, truth is what we need to manifest in order to sustain revival. This is why we're not just revival, we're revival, discipleship. We can't afford to get shallow in this thing. We can't afford just to be emotional in this thing. We have to understand there is a word. And true, authentic revival to be sustained must be rooted deep in apostolic authority and truth. In Psalms 119 alone, the psalmist mentions five times how according to the word of God, he is revived. So truth under the, under the life of God brings life, brings strength. It feeds revival. This, this, this present truth then is something that every generation has access to. Something that God has already preset. A present truth. So there is a present truth for every generation. And this brings us, this brings us into our text in Jude, which is a very interesting, interesting text. Here we hear, we, we hear the apostolic cry of Jude. When he began to write this letter as an apostle, his intent was to lay out systematic theology of their common salvation. But right in the midst of him prepared to talk about how wonderful salvation is and the depth of it, he says, I found myself and I found it necessary. He said, I am strongly compelled to fight. I'm strongly compelled to do battle. And content. He said, not only am I, but I am compelled to call you to battle, to fight, and to defend truth. Truth, we understand here, is not faith in God. Truth or faith, contend for the faith here, is a systematic theology of their understanding of God in their relationship with Christ. And so it's important, he's saying that you understand this. He said, I just wanted to talk about salvation, but now I've got to stop and say, listen, before we can really talk about it, I've got to make sure you understand this thing is worth fighting for. Even before I go any further today, before I go deeper in this thing, I got to know, do you really believe this truth? This gospel, this holy Bible that we have, this body of truth is worth fighting for. Because you're going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to fight for it. So Jude and Peter 
are both dealing with the same fake teachers who are weigh, weighing heavy under the spirit of apostasy. And their goal is to pull a generation out from present truth. They're trying to steal. I'm pushing on principality today. It's trying to steal what God is speaking to a generation. You see, a generation that knows its present truth, a generation that understands who they are and who God really is. You see, a generation that knows present truth is an assault on hell, on the lies and on the deception that the enemy wants to predicate or the enemy wants to push upon a generation. So a true a generation that is in tune with what God is saying, when he takes this truth and speaks it to a generation, when I say generation, I'm not talking about a young, just young people. I'm talking about everybody alive on the planet right now. So those of you that are older, you're checking out on me. Don't check out on me right now. Because you see, God, you got, you, God has a word for us up in this house. God has a word for us in the midst of revival. And we have to understand that the enemy wants to take away what he is saying to this generation and through this generation. He wants us to make us feel inferior to the generations that have come behind us. But I want you to know, you've got something to say. You have had an encounter with God. You understand the word of God. You are brilliant. You are bright. You are covered in the anointing of God. You have understanding, wisdom, knowledge. So a present truth will bring a generation into intimacy with God and give them their identity of purpose. And when truth is obeyed, it positions us to possess our prophetic purposes. What do you mean prophetic purposes? Why are we still here? The word established that Peter used said to be established in present truth. It means to be in a set, secure, unshakable position. So the apostles are feeling like the church may be on shaky ground when it comes to being able to defend and contend the faith. Because they're already seeing fake teachers, false prophets, false apostles coming into the church and preaching another gospel, a different gospel, but yet being received with open arms. Simply put, it is truth from Scripture That God is emphasizing here. When he says a present truth, he's speaking of a season of a generation for the purpose of initiating the prophetic plans of God. 
to ignite revival, ultimately to advance the kingdom of God. But what we have to understand is that an apostate spirit will always oppose present truth. Because an apostate spirit really is just another branch of a religious spirit which wants to keep the church in status quo. To keep the church stuck in form without power. It always counters present truth. So when present truth begins to release through revival, and there's an awakening in the spirits of the people, it then is countered because most people, not all, but most people in our churches today don't really want present truth. They want a pleasant truth. See, present truth prepares us for the challenges that we have ahead. But a pleasant truth, it's not going to meet that need of the hour. This is why I'm a little concerned. A little concerned. Like I said, it's not a new truth. It's a present truth. It's God taking his word, prophetically speaking it into a generation under an atmosphere of life that pierces into their soul. And then they understand this brings me to intimacy with God. This brings me to an understanding of who I am in Christ and my purpose in the earth. But yet there is this, these, these in the body of Christ that Timothy, Paul talked about to Timothy, it's that, it's that itching ear thing. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about? Second Timothy 4, 3, he said, for, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. It's too boring. Can you just do something else right now? Uh, Sound doctrine. But he says, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they heap upon themselves teachers. In other words, they don't want to go when they're going to get what they need to hear. They're going to go where they get what they want to hear. Scratching ears. It means rubbing ears. They get people around them. Yeah, yeah, they're not looking for a message. They're looking for a massage. Can you make sure I leave feeling better than when I came in? I can't get no help up in this revival church today. They don't want to be confronted. They don't want to be challenged. They have chosen entertainment over equipment. They They want you to placate them. They don't want you to really preach to them. I know none of those people are in this house. I'm talking about the other people. See, here's the dilemma. Here's the dilemma. When people have itching ears, 
That means they will decide for themselves what truth is. And not only will they choose themselves, that's bad enough, what truth is. They seek. And they seek to find those that will support their desire. This is why they are more concerned with comfort than truth. But I have found that truth many times is very uncomfortable. Walking away from a hard truth is an easy thing to do. I'm speaking to a generation today. If we are not careful, we're going to lose truth. You see, when truth is not visibly communicated from generation to generation, then that word gets weak. And it will eventually die and just go away. You, you, you see, if words die, then truth dies. Our words matter. What we speak, preach, teach, and declare in the house of God matters. Because if we don't say it, we're going to lose it. The good news is God has always had a remnant. Every generation has had a remnant. It's a generation that has ears to hear what the Spirit has to say. It's a generation that has hearts to obey. It's a generation that has the courage to contend for present truth. I know God is speaking. I know God has spoken. And he is speaking to us out of his spoken word. And I want to hear what God says. I don't want to hear what man says God says. I want to hear what God says. Truth is vanquished by silence. This is not a time for the church to shut up. This is not a time for us to hold our, our, our voice back. We must cry loud and spare not. Truth has fallen in the streets, our Bible says. Someone must pick it up. Our words are dying. They're going away in the church. We must keep these words alive so we can keep a generation alive. Oh, y'all yeah, 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 know what I'm talking about. These days... Repentance is outdated. So we hear teachings about how people are basically good. And God is too good to judge to send people to hell. The cross is too heavy and the blood is too messy. These are things we no longer need to preach in our church. But if we let them die, the gospel dies with it. 
I come to preach a thing in this place. This, this brings us to 1 Timothy chapter 4. But the Spirit is explicitly says that in the latter times or in the end times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceptive spirits and doctrines of demons. That's, that, 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 that's pretty plain, ain't it? Even a simple guy like me can understand that. The Holy Spirit is saying, he's saying to Paul, tell Timothy, who is a young pastor, whose generation, already, already their truth is being challenged. Already the gospel is being challenged. Already. And he said, you need to let them know as they get closer to the end time, there we, there will be a falling away, which is what we call the the apostasy. It's a great falling away. Apostasy, great falling away. Uh, And so, and so apostate is one that has fallen away from the faith, from the faith. not just believe in God for a miracle, but believe in God that he is God. Believe in that his word is true. Believe in what he says is so. Falling away from a body of faith, a body of truth. Paying attention, then instead of teachers and preachers of truth, they are now listening to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Okay. What is this talking about? Number one, this is not talking about demonology. Demonology is the study of demons. You have to be careful with that. It's a legitimate truth. It's a little bit of study. We believe in demons and devils and darkness and possession and being demonized and being under the weight of oppressive spirit all those things you know we've been around here we believe that but if you be if you are obsessed with demons that's a problem don't be obsessed with demons be obsessed with holy ghost because what you're obsessed with comes and visits you That was a side note. So this, this isn't, this isn't when he talks about deceiving spirits or deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. What, this is what it's talking about. It's talking about a set of beliefs or teachings which demons, which demons try to uh, propagate throughout the church for the purpose of deceiving believers. There is a great deception coming upon the earth. There is a great deception coming upon the church. And this is telling us that some will fall prey to this because they are liking. I'm simple, so let me say it like this. Doctrines or demons are what demons would want to preach to you about to keep you from truth. That if a demon was going to walk up here in the flesh and say, let me speak to you today, he would tell you something that would cause you to be confused about truth. Is anybody preaching this for me today? So doctrines of demons then is a, a set of beliefs that hell wants to sow into the church to reap deception and apostasy. 
So those that once have known truth are now walking away from truth. And, they're, and, they're, and now they're moving into the realm of apostasy. Our Bible says that before the tribulation, before Jesus comes, there will be a great falling away. There will be a great apostasy. So if you think I'm messed up here trying to think of something to preach, this is coming. I just want to make sure none of y'all in it. I can preach something more exciting. I can come up with something else and we can just, but I got to say this because somebody's got to stand up and say it because the body of Christ is in trouble because ain't nobody got the courage to stand up and preach truth. You see, there's two types of apostasy. There's, there's the full-blown walking away from God. I'm done. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in this Christianity stuff. I'm done. And we would just walk away. Just walk away. Leave it. The second, the second kind are those who believe a mixture of truth And error. In other words, their theology and their truth is so well mixed with error that it's hard to decipher what truth is. See, this is, this is why I'm trying to help you today. I, I, I don't think there's a lot of people in this room that's just going to walk fully away from God and say, I'm done with God. I'm done with Christianity. I'm just going to go back into the world. I'm done with this thing. But the mixture is dangerous. This is why one of the greatest need of the hour is discernment. Spurgeon says discernment is not knowing right from wrong but it's knowing right from almost what's wrong. See, our enemy is like an angel uh, of light. He, he, he's just not going to throw everything at us and we're going to say, oh, that's the devil. No, he's going to come at us in a way and he knows us well. He's studied all of us well. He's studied the church for 2,000 years. He knows exactly what we're made up of and he will come with a mixture of truth to cause us to embrace something we think is enlightening us and causing us to evolve, but in reality, it's causing us to fall. Yes, yes. I, 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 must, I must hurry. The clock went off the deal. All right. Progressive Christianity is what I really come to talk about today. It is a doctrine of demons. You know, it, 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 when you read your Bible, it, 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 it absolutely seems that there is always a movement to seduce the church away from truth. It, it was somewhere in the early 2000s that the emergent church movement broke in. 
This movement was made up of, of, of a lot of different movements. From the ecclesiastical to the evangel- uh, evangelical to charismatics. All at some point. Even Pentecostals. And the point was, it was to try to woo the church. Intention good. But it was to woo the church to change their message and their methods to be relevant to a changing culture. That was early 2000s. It was a pretty strong movement at one time. Like I said, it, it crossed very, very many lines. But today there is another movement that is gaining traction. And this, this, this movement is influencing the church toward this morning what I will call postmodern woke correctness. Oh, I come to step on the devil's head today. Progressive Christianity is a thing. It's a real thing. I'm going I'm to walk you through some things here. It's going to be different for me, because I'm, 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 but I'm going to walk you through because I'm going to ground us well in this and understand what we're dealing with here. Because its goal was to convince the church, the modern church, that the gospel alone will never reach an antagonistic, hostile culture to Christianity. Once again, to make it simple, they're saying the church needs to be cool. Church needs to be woke. They really need to get a better understanding of what's really going on in the world. So their, their, their initial goal of progressive Christianity is to cause the truth in Christianity to be tolerant inclusive and not offensive I, 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 I. so in doing so because it sounds well that sounds legit to be able to relate to our culture better to be able to have a, a Christian message that's more plaudible and likable and, and discernible and acceptable version of Christianity so we can reach more people. That sounds awesome. And so I went on a website. I thought, I want to find out what these progressive guys really believe. This came right off one of their churches, and I can't even remember the name. It was something, 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 Unity, Triad, I don't know, I know it was something. And it's entitled, What is Progressive Christianity? So this is on the Progressive Church, a Progressive Christian Church website, so people will know if you go to their church what they believe. Right here. Not making it up. Right here. So they begin by talking about the origin of Christianity or Progressive Christianity. Are you ready? In keeping with our reformed and reforming identity, 
which means we're constantly changing our mind about what we believe. So I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to break it down, simplify it for you, because I'm a simple man. We have embraced a movement that began 2006 called Progressive Christianity. The movement was a part of a larger movement called the Emerging Church. At the heart of these movements was the desire to articulate a way of being a Christian. An alternative to Christian faith betrayed in the public realm. In other words, they didn't like what Christians look like. The leaders of the progressive Christianity have, watch this, grown weary of defining their Christian faith in the negative terms. Then, then they begin to, to say what, who they are or who they're not. We aren't fundamentalists. We don't believe the Bible is an errant or infallible word of God. Hmm? We don't agree that creationism should be replaced. Oh, what was it? Let me, say, let me read it again. We do not believe creationism should, should replace the science of evolution in public schools. Hey, 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 hey. I'm just reading it. Calm down over there. We don't believe that God hates gays. You know what? Neither do we. We don't believe that people of other faiths are going to hell unless they convert to Christianity. We don't deny the right of women to choose what happens in their bodies. This is just the origin of progressive Christianity. It goes on. After saying all of that, then they talk about biblical foundations. The Bible is read at every one of our progressive Christian worship services and is the foundation of our beliefs, faiths, and values. Next, head, next headline, progressive Christianity beliefs are rooted in Jesus. That sounds good, right? We believe that God's will and way are revealed in Jesus of Nazareth. Hmm. We believe that the historic... The historical Jesus, the Jewish rabbi carpenter, who lived in ancient Palestine, became the Christ as his followers encountered him in their midst after his earthly death. The Holy, now you listen to this closely. The Holy Spirit awakened them to the power of Jesus' presence in their midst, even though his physical body did not. But he did. Jesus' life, death, resurrection provided the inspiration 
and the challenge for us to live as followers of Jesus today. Did you, did you get all of that? It goes on. Our progressive beliefs. I'm, t- I'm talking about mixture. The Christian faith is founded upon three primary calls we see through Jesus to love God, to love our neighbors, and to love ourselves. We can say yes and amen to that. Number two, the Christian faith is our way of being faithful to God, but it's not the only way. Christianity is the truth for us, but it's not the only truth. Love God involves all aspects of life, not just human life. Care of the earth, eschatology, is an expression of Christian faith and stewardship. Number four, love of neighbor means extending kindness and care. I will be careful here because I don't want to be misunderstood, but you've got to understand what they're saying to us here. It says further, love your neighbor includes affirmation of the LBGTQ community, illegal immigrants. I added illegal. They just put immigrants, but we all know legal immigrants have always been welcome in this nation. People of other faith and traditions, and even those who are our enemies. This is taken directly from a statement of faith, from what is called progressive Christianity. I'm going to deal with three things. There are many today that I could deal with, and I'm going to do this quickly. The danger of progressive Christianity. Number one is that it lowers the view of the Bible. Progressive Christianity views the Bible as a record of people who believed in God in times past. That it is nothing more than a journal of those that walked and lived with Christ. It is nothing more than their their experience with God, their ideas of God, and who God is. They have just written them in a book, and we put it together and called it the Bible. But they forgot it's the Holy Bible. I read to you out of their statement that they believe the Bible is inspired, but I do believe the Bible is inspired. I do believe the Bible is inerrant. I do believe the Bible is infallible. To them, the Bible is a human book. Their words, their terminology, the Bible is a human book. But I believe, I believe the Bible and I believe the Holy Scripture. And I believe that it says, um, well, let me find it here. Oh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness. Yes? Second Peter chapter 1 verse 20. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy who has ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoken from God. This is why I believe it is inspired and errant and infallible. 
When I say that it is inspired, I literally mean God is the ultimate author of this book. When I say it is inerrant, I mean God used humans to write exactly what he wanted without error. When I say it is infallible, I mean it is incapable of error because God is perfect and his word is perfect and his word will accomplish what God intended for it to be. It is the word of the living God. This matters because if we give ourselves permission to deny and to ignore certain scriptures that don't fit with our idea of God and how God deals with man, then we transfer the authority of truth from the Bible to ourselves and to our preferences and to our feelings and to our ideas. It no longer has any authority or power in it whatsoever, which means now we have nothing in this earth that has absolute truth tied to it. Their mantra is what's true for you is true for you. And what's true for me is true for me. This is, this is a big deal. This is why I started with this because everything we believe about God comes out of this book. It is the final authority. If I don't like it, it's not God's problem. I can't change it. Truth is not what I think it is. Truth is true. The problem with believing that is that Christianity it's not a religion of options. It's rooted in absolute truth. You know, if they just believed a few things that didn't matter, then, you know, go ahead. But this is an essential doctrine of the faith. And for them... And others, it is open for reinterpretation. Let's just throw 2,000 years of thought, encounter, and theology out the window. Because I don't like it. So because that's deeply embedded in this progressive Christianity movement then their theology is like all over the page. It's everywhere. Because not only does it give a low view to the Bible, because it does that, it also gives a low view of Christ. Our Bible says, let me, let me just, let me just stop.
But I was reading to you from this. And we were talking about, we believe that God's will and way were revealed in Jesus of Nazareth. There's a reason they use that terminology. There's a reason they didn't call him Jesus Christ. There's a reason they say we believe in a historical Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, a carpenter who lived in Palestine. There's a reason they said became the Christ as his followers encountered him in their midst after his earthly death. The Holy Spirit awakened them. Okay, this is very concealed, but this is what they're saying. Not all, but the ones that are deep, because there's various ideas on this. What they're saying is, is that they're more concerned with his humanity than they are his divinity. What they're saying is, yes, they believe in his death and his burial and resurrection, but not necessarily a physical resurrection. For they said the Holy Spirit made him alive to them. I'm talking about error and mixture. If you just read through it, you, 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 you think it's all good. But when you study their body of truth, then you realize what they're saying here is that, okay, there may have been an historic physical resurrection, but it didn't have to be. It could be metaphorical to us. And that Jesus showed us who God is. And how we should live to be like God. So they're, they're more into the following Jesus as a man than they are understanding that he is God. Well, you got to understand this is huge. See, if you don't believe what this book says, then you can make Jesus out to be anything you want him to be. What they are doing is they are trying to abolish the doctrine of the supremacy of Christ. That Christ is above all. He is king and sovereign and mighty, and there is no other but him. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is God all by himself. You can believe him to be king or not. He is king. See, the supremacy of Christ is a doctrine that, that, that surrounds the authority of Jesus and his God nature. So when you affirm him as supreme, as above all, then you're affirming that he is God. But a true progressive Christian, they just think he was a great man who was above all creation is only God can be. They don't believe he's divine. They believe he is a moral example to be followed. Okay, so, so you, you've lowered the Bible to being whatever you want it to be. 
And because we've lowered the Bible to be whatever we want it to be, now we have lowered Christ as King and Lord who must be worshipped. Because if he ain't king, we ain't going to worship him. We worship him because he is king and he is sovereign and supreme. But if he is not that, then you don't have to worship him. This thing's going downhill fast. Because see, the, the last thing, after they lower the view of the Bible, they lower the view of Christ, is they lower the view of the gospel. It's, it's only a natural progression. Because if Jesus is just a man, then he really didn't have to die on a cross. Because a man can't save me. And the reason they're okay with that is they don't think they need to be saved. True, true progressive Christians have a real issue with the atonement. The, the theology is everywhere. They look at the atonement as child abuse. That God gave his only son, made him suffer on a cross and die. Why did he have to do that? Why? Because now your theology is so messed up, you don't even believe in the original and the origin of sin. In other words, they believe that we're all good and we're just getting better. And life is about getting better. And I don't need Jesus to do that because I don't believe that Adam's sin came down through all the other generations. And when I was born, that I was born a sinner. No, no, you're not a sinner. You're blessed. You're good. Oh, you're accepted of the Father. You don't need to buy into all that atonement, blood, cross stuff. You don't need that. I'm, I'm, I'm moving quick. I could go deep in this. But you got to understand this. Progressive Christianity really focuses on moralism. And not salvation. I'm going to step in some weeds here in just a minute. Lord, no sin, no atonement, no resurrection, no heaven. Well, yeah, they believe in heaven. No hell. No final judgment. So the reason we don't need a savior, I'm going to try to work this around, but watch. Is they really, really believe that we're basically good. And I don't want to mess anybody up, but we're not. Our Bible says that we are born into sin. Really, the better way to say it, sin's born in us. And when we come to this earth, we come lost in a sin nature and our only hope to ever know in God is through the finished work of a cross of a redeeming Savior called Jesus. But they want us to believe that the atonement was the waste of God's love and God, there's no reason for that. That we don't need that because we're getting better all the time. And then if you don't, don't worry about it because what this does is it laps over into what's called universalism. Yeah. 
Moralism is just I'm becoming, I'm becoming more, I'm becoming better by works. By being a better person, I'm becoming better. By hanging out with better people, I'm becoming better. Universalism is the teaching that everyone will go to heaven. No matter what. We believe you have to be born again. You have to receive salvation through Jesus Christ. Through the finished work of his cross. And we are reconciled through the atoning power of his blood. Waste of your time. You don't need that. Because eventually, because God is too good to send anybody to hell, and he is, God's never sent anyone to hell. He has not. People go to hell because they choose to go to hell. I'm not happy about that. I'm not glad about that. This is the whole purpose of the deceiving here. This is the whole purpose of the deception here. The purpose here is to cause people to get a misunderstanding of gospel and eternity and the love of God and the redeeming power of the cross. Feeding our flesh, making us think somehow we can be good enough that one day when we die, it doesn't matter how we have lived, that we will end up in heaven because nobody's going to hell. Everybody's going to have some even believe all the way to the demon power themselves will walk into heaven this is deception and doctrines of demons yes so the highest goal of Christianity in the life of a progressive Christian is you just become a good person And we downplay sin. They will never preach about sin. They will never talk about sin. They don't really believe sin makes us bad, that it has marred humanity. And then when you look at a broken, dysfunctional planet, that it is under the way of sin, the weight of sin. We are good. We just need more opportunity to get better. They don't talk about the wrath of God. They don't talk about the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's all irrelevant. You see, this brings us to my last thing today. When we're talking about the lowering of the gospel. Is that they really believe. That the gospel is no longer the answer. To the need of our world. They really believe. That if we try hard enough. And we work hard enough that this world will get better. I'm waiting on something. 
don't know how far I should go in this. The enemy is a liar. Let me finish this up. Are you ready? At the core of progressive Christianity is their affirmations. To affirm something means that you agree with it. To affirm something or to confirm something means you are saying it is true. Christians, I believe, are to love everyone, but not at the expense of truth. So as a progressive Christian, then I must affirm LGBTQ relationships and marriages. I must confirm or affirm universalism or universal reconciliation. And what we have seen happen in our churches, especially in the last, say, five years, as we have seen the intense pressure coming from our culture that says if you do not affirm these, then you're a bigot, you're racist, you're homophobic. The reason I'm pushing on this is because we have to get a stronger unity around truth. They're going to press us to the limit. They're going to press us, church, to recant and to affirm. They're going to press us. They're going to try to push us to the outer limits and marginalize us who we are, try to make us look small, bad, hateful, uh, and and they're going to try to make us look like we don't know anything. And and, and I'm telling you, a culture is hostile right now against truth. Truth. And I'm going to stand up on something now because I got grandkids. And their little ears are going to be open to all kinds of nonsense. They're going to put, be put under pressure to give in to what a culture says is true. Instead of what God's word says is true. We better wake up. The church better stop trying to be woke. And it better wake up. They don't need us to be cool. They need us to be powerful. Everybody stand all over this building. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say it, and I'm just going to say it straight and as plain as I can because I've gone a little, probably a little long. I don't know. The clock went down. But listen to me. I feel this in my spirit. A wave of this is getting ready to be released against the church. The church that stands for truth. The church that refuses to bow. The church that refuses to hem haul around what they believe and what they believe truth is, but just says this is truth according to the word of God. This critical race theory 
It's been around really a long time. First, it was just critical theory. Then they decided to insert race. Race has always been a part of it. But they decided to because they want to keep the race thing alive in our nation. Does America have issues? Yes. Has America come a long ways? Yes. Are we there yet? No. But we cannot allow this thing to be propagated into the ears of our children. We cannot do this. I'm not trying to be political. I'm trying to be scriptural and defend and contend truth. You see, what does it matter? What's the big deal? Because critical theory or critical race theory in a world, a Christian worldview are opposed. They don't, they, they don't fit. They don't fit. You see, the Christian worldview says the problem in our world is sin. Every problem we have is because of sin. Critical race theory, progressive Christianity, because they preached it. That's true. It says we have to organize. We have to try to change things. We have to be proactive. We're Americans. I believe in all of that. But I don't believe that it can fix the problem of sin. Sin is the problem. It is cured and solved by the atoning power of Christ on the cross. It reconciles us to God. While critical theory says the problem is oppression, you have an oppressor and you have the oppressed. And the only thing that will fix it is activism, raised awareness, and overthrowing oppressive systems and their power. You can do all of those things, but they will not change a thing. Because at the, at the heart of the problem is the heart of man. Sin in our hearts. And the only thing that redeems a sinful heart is an atoning Jesus. It is the miracle above all miracles that he can take my dark black heart and wash it under his red blood and make it white as snow. It could change a nation. I'm just trying to make you aware if there's issues here, church. We can't hide ourselves and we can't let revival just be something that causes us to get lost and locked up and away. We must let revival do a deep work in us through spiritual power and cleansing and anointings. But we must raise our voices. You say, I don't want to. You will have to. Come into your home soon. Come into your church soon. What are we going to do? We're going to speak truth. If you think I'm just, uh, just saying stuff and I'm, I'm closing, I really am. Listen, just this last week, they had a school board meeting right here in Peoria, Peoria School District. You know what it was about? It was give parents an opportunity to say what they felt 
about critical race theory being taught in our schools. Right here in Peoria. It's, it's going to be everywhere. Unless somebody takes a stand against it. It isn't just another thing. It's an attack against truth. It's an attack against the gospel. Teaching our kids that they can change the world. They can with the gospel. Teaching them that they're the problem. They're not the problem. Sin is the problem. Oh, Lord. Jesus, Jesus. May the spirit of truth fill this room. May the spirit of truth fill our hearts. May the spirit of truth fill our children, oh God. Fill this room. Fill their room. Fill their building. Fill our children. We break every doctrines of demons and deceiving spirits that would try to overtake the minds of our children. Church, break it off. Shake it off. Shake it off. Shake it off. Shake it off. Ha! 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 Break it off. Break off every deceiving spirit. I'm not going to do an altar call. Right there, right there, right there. I, 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 I exhort you. Oh, I would like to preach a much nicer message today. But I am compelled to say you must defend and you must contend for truth.
Listen, all of these, all of these things that I have muddled through today, please understand. It is a diabolical scheme of hell. To try to get the church out of its position, out of its identity and its authority, which is found in the word of God. The press is going to be on. But you have what it takes because you are a revivalist. And you know how to connect with God. You know how to connect with God vertically. But we must know how to connect with the word horizontally. This is why every deeper class we have, people ought to be hanging out the walls. Because it's not enough to have known it. It's enough to, you must know it. just trying to get us ready I don't want to see anybody fall he said oh it will never happen look I have seen it happen I see some of our brightest young adults go into colleges and go into world religion and walk away from God that thing gets in their mind Moms and dads, I think my wife alluded to this yesterday. You are their primary teacher. Teach them the word of God. Teach them the word of God. And make sure you get them here every Sunday morning for deeper so they can be well diggers into the word of God. So Pastor Rosa Linda can get our kids deep in the word. We have to repent. We took Sunday school out of our churches. Come on. Because it got too much, you know, having a service, having a Sunday school, having a service. Come on. And then we just said, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll quit that. And then we may have lost a generation. Right, right. That may still be in the church, but they don't know truth. If I keep preaching like this, some of y'all are going to go, I'm going to go somewhere else because that's just like too much. This is what we need. This is the problem. Lift your hands. Father, I've done my best today. I just ask you to take the truth and the revelation of this word and press it into our hearts. Press it into our hearts, Father. I thank you that we were born for such a time as this. To defend and contend for truth. How sweet and precious this is, oh God. Your word is like honey to us. 
I pray this week that you would take us deep into the wells of truth and revelation. Equip us and empower us. And I thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening in to the Fresh Start Church podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. You can order Pastor Kim's book, Doorkeepers of Revival, at doorkeepersofrevival.com. And you can listen to Fresh Start Revival Worship on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you stream your music. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.